0: So uh, I spoke last week, Oh, actually, just because I see him here, do we have any other king of the ringers here? There's Dean, any others? Any others who competed? I did, did you guys see my score? Did you guys not see me fighting there? Okay, Um, you guys missed me. Anyway, I mean, well done Dean, but like well done to Cam who was in his corner. Cam Fixton, is he here? Birthday boy, give it up for uh, Cam as well, he was helping in the corner. But um, I know John Miller was also doing it a few others, but great to have you guys in the mix of that. So I spoke last week on how we can live a purposeful and impactful life in the midst of change and uncertainty, it was election time out of the book of Isaiah. If any of you missed it, you please catch it up on YouTube or on podcast. But on the back of it, I wanted to give um, as a church, or we just wanted to bless you with a brilliant resource. There's a book at the back afterwards for every adult who wants to take one. It's not a long book, it's called The Art of Survival. And it's written by a brilliant uh, man called Chip Ingram. And basically, it's, I think, one of the greatest resources for how do you deal with difficult times? How do you deal with uncertainty from a biblical basis so take one as you go if you're here and you're exploring faith it is written for christ followers still take one because i know jesus will speak to you in it we also have some great books for you if you're exploring faith a brilliant booklet called making the connection another one called why jesus those are there they're a free gift but i really want us to be a people who operate and live as Jesus would want us in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty. And I don't think it all has to be mystery. I truly believe that we can be grounded that even when things sidewind us, we're able to operate um, in a real and a raw and an honest way. So pick one up and read along as our gift to you. So we're almost at the end of our series in Mark, and it's been wonderful to track through Jesus' life. It's given us an incredible picture into what it means to follow him. And in our nation in particular, most people, and I say most people because it is changing as we become more and more first worldish, but in our nation on the whole, what happens is most people go, I'm not a Muslim, I'm not a Hindu, I'm not an adamant atheist, therefore I must be Christian. That's what most people in our nation think and that's how most people operate. But I wanna tell you today that there's a huge difference between thinking you're a Christian by birth or because you aren't something else versus actually being one. And it's why here at Hope you'll hear us talk often about whether you are a Christ follower or not. Because what I've found is a much healthier definition of where we stand in faith is whether we are following Christ in his ways or not. It's easy to say I'm a Christian. But actually, a Christ follower is a different terminology. It speaks of somebody who's received Christ and wants to follow him and his ways. And that's what this um, journey through Mark has been all about. That's what it's been about, is tracking what was Jesus like, how did he live on earth, and how does that outwork in our lives? And I just suddenly realized in the midst of this, I have to tell something else. Very important, white Toyota Hilux double cab. Registration number, AAK4738. We found something on your window that says you've donated to the church. Thank you so much. What a gift. No, no, that's not the case. But um, if you want to, you can. No, just your headlights are on. So if that's your car, your headlights are on. But if you wanna do that as well, that's just just what I read on the page. That was so amazing. It doesn't say that, but it's just what I saw. Um, (laughs) So your headlights are on. So we got jumper leads if you wanna leave them on and stay for the service, but you also can turn those off. So today we wanna look at the greatest commandment. If we drown out all the noise and we get down to the core of what it means to follow Jesus, what does that practically look like for each of us? And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love you to turn to Mark 12. If you don't, it's gonna be on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, um, come chat to us afterwards. We can tell you ones to download or brilliant ones to purchase as well, or we'll give you one if you can't afford it. But if you have one, I'd love you to turn to Mark 12. Um, This is going to be our final uh, teaching in Mark. And you'll notice we haven't gone into Jesus dying, Jesus rising again. We covered that in Easter and in the run-up to Easter. So that's why we're stopping here. We're starting a new series after our first birthday. But it's um, Matthew 12, and we're going to be looking from verse 28. Look into it from verse 28. It's titled, The Greatest Commandment, or The Great commandment. And as an introduction, Jesus' life was this amazing blend of sharing and teaching and then demonstration of the supernatural. It was sharing the truth of who he was, what he was about, God in the flesh, and then it was showing the reality of God's kingdom on earth, and it breaking out, and we see physical healing, we see emotional healing, we see people being set free from the demonic. And much of the time when he shared, there were a few different people groups. I think there's a number of them, but I'll come up with four today. There were followers, there were people who followed Jesus. There were inquirers, and that was people who didn't yet have a relationship with God, but they were interested. They were asking questions. They were hanging on every word. They were inquirers. Then there was the disinterested. There were those who maybe were there for a miracle or um, they were there to just hear something interesting, but they weren't actively involved. They were kind of like, nah, you know, it's just a new get on the block. There'll be another one, not that interested. And fourthly, there were the attackers. They're ones who are actively opposed to Jesus. And every one of us here today will find ourselves in one of those places. We'll either be a follower here today, we'll be an inquirer, we're exploring faith, we'll kind of be a bit disinterested, we're here for other reasons, or we might actually be opposed. And uh, I I pray that we're continually moving towards being followers. But the attackers were primarily primarily made up of religious leaders of the day. That's who governed it sadly. They didn't recognize that Jesus was God in the flesh, and they were ultimately the ones who had him executed. Jesus was killed by the religious authorities. They were argumentative, and they were on a mission to trick Jesus, which never worked. Uh, It's very hard to trick someone who knows everything, and I thought they would work this out, but they didn't. uh, Until he rose again, they still didn't after that, but they tried. And in the midst of one of these many discussions, backwards and forwards, they're trying to trick him, they're accusing him um, of, of various different things and what he's described. In the midst of this, one of those religious leaders comes to Jesus with a question. Called a scribe, and that's where we pick up the story. So there's lots of animosity, there's lots of tension, Jesus is talking to different people groups, and one of these religious leaders comes to him with a question. Must have been quite a scary thing to do because he was going against the, the grain of culture. He was going against the flow. And this is where you pick up the story. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, scribes were well-educated men. They knew the Old Testament scripture back to front. They were recognized in society. They knew the Jewish rules and regulations uh, to the hilt. But this man was also humble that was the difference he was also humble in spite of all the accusations and mocking from other religious leaders he recognized that jesus was answering wisely that he was clear that he spoke honestly and that he was answering with wisdom and so he put aside his preconditioned ideas he put aside what society was saying what his friends were saying He was prepared to drown out that noise to move forward with a question and maybe that's you today Maybe in spite of all the noise of life, regardless of friendship circles, regardless of news stations, social media, what other people have said about Jesus, you wanna know more yourself. And so maybe that's why you've come again today or you've come because a friend's invited you. And the challenge is to keep exploring. Be prepared to be the one who steps out from the crowd because it might just transform everything you've thought about before. And that's what happened with him. This man asks a question. He says which is the most important of all he's saying jesus of everything you've spoken about of everything you've been talking about this time of ministry i would like to know which law is the greatest is it to keep the sabbath there's some people sadly that's what they believe today without fault that is the most important law keep the sabbath and that's on a saturday not any other day and that's what they will live and die for is it to go to church is that the most important thing is it to not get drunk Is it to respect your mother and father? Is it to stay faithful to our spouse? Is it to say a prayer before we go to sleep every night? What is the greatest commandment? He's asking this question. And Jesus answers, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus quotes straight out of Scripture what that man would have known, that scribe, what the religious leaders all around would have known from the book of Deuteronomy. And everyone would have known that. In fact, most people repeated it daily, morning and evening. They would have repeated these laws daily as Jewish people. So they would have known this at least intellectually and not necessarily at a heart level. And I'd say this is very similar to many who maybe have been in a boarding school setting and you went through chapel after chapel and you read out of prayer book, out of prayer book, but you can honestly say that meant nothing to you. We went through the motions and you could say it off by heart, but it actually meant nothing. When I was at school, we would sing the Lord's Prayer, Uh, we would sing Psalm 23, um, and we would do those things over and over and over, so regurgitated that I can tell you I didn't take in any of those words. Powerful words, amazing words. I didn't take them in, and this was the case for many of the religious leaders. So we're gonna dive into it because Jesus was saying this is the most important. So he says there, right at the beginning, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is a starting point for anyone's journey of faith. Can I know God personally, and if I can, is there only one God to know? That's what Jesus is saying. The Lord our God, i.e., can we know him personally, and then the Lord is one, the only one. That's the question that everybody has when it comes to faith. The Lord our God, or to make it personal, the Lord my God. That's what Jesus would be saying if it was personally. He's saying, you can know me personally. You can have a relationship with me. You don't know me as some far-off God, but you can actually know me and have a friendship. That's the first part. You see, we were created by an all-powerful God, but an all-loving God. And we saw last week, he created everything that we see and what we don't see. He made us as the pinnacle of his creation to enjoy a lasting relationship with him. He didn't need us, but he wanted us. And sadly, as man, starting with Adam and Eve, we said, thanks, God, but I'm going to do things my way. It's great that you've done this. It's great that you've created me. But actually, your decisions and your ways, I I hear you, but I'm actually, I know better. I'm going to go my own direction. As a result, something called sin entered our world. That shattered the relationship between a perfect God and now a sin-filled people. Started a chain reaction of depravity in our world. And that's what we see today. What's evil is called good in our world today. And what's good is called evil. It's absolutely turned end on end the depravity of our society. Sure, there are elements of beauty and joy, but nothing compared to what it should be. And so this all-loving God acted on a plan to save us from eternal separation that would happen as a result of our sin. Jesus stepped into our world. He paid the ultimate price. A perfect and a just God could not sweep sin under the carpet. That would violate His holiness. But as, as imperfect people, we couldn't make things right. I shared a few weeks ago, it's like us trying to rub something out with a dirty cloth, never going to happen, has to be someone perfect to solve the problem, and so he did it, he defined what love was, he laid down his life, and when he rose again, it proved that sin had been paid for, that death had been defeated, and that you and I have access to life now and life beyond the grave. The moment we receive Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, the moment we allow him to change us from the inside out, he becomes Lord my God. Not just Lord a God, not just Lord a God far away, but Lord my God. That's the first step. And then the passage also says that we can personally know, this God that we can personally know is one, that there's no one else. He's the only God. And some may say, well, Craig, aren't there many ways to the same destination? aren't there many different faiths, but actually kind of they all lead to the same God. We all kind of have a little different picture of the same God. Interestingly enough, most other faiths would say that their faith is the only faith. It's not the Christian faith, but Islam would say, we're the only way to God. Judaism would say, we're the only way to God. Hinduism, in the midst of believing different gods, would say, we're the only way. Buddhism would say, enlightenment, this is the only way to get to that place of being God yourself. And so we all have these perspectives. There's not really any faiths that believe that there's all roads lead to the same God. And so we need to search for what's true. That's the next starting point. And so in each of our journeys of faith, that's where we begin. Is the God of the Bible true? Did Jesus, who claimed to be God in the flesh, die and rise again for our sins? Because if that happened, we can believe all of scripture. If that's true, it's the greatest display of love and forgiveness the world has ever seen. I believe it's true but we need to get to that place. And if you aren't sure, keep exploring, keep searching. We've got great books that will get out next week called The Case for Christ, written by someone who was head of the Chicago Tribune. He was uh, investigative journalist of the year, many times avid atheist, Lee Strobel. And he said, I'm gonna disprove this. I'm gonna make a newspaper segment about the fact that the resurrection is an absolute hoax. And he got to the end of it and he was like, this is absolutely true. There's no hoax in it. Absolutely astounding book. He interviewed some of the top people of our day, scientists, Christ followers and not, and came down to that conclusion. So we wanna help you with that as well. But once we get how much God loves us and that we can know him personally, what does that result in? We can know him, we can know him personally. What does that result in? How should that affect the way we live? And that's where Jesus says, this is the next response. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. He says, once you get what God's done for you, once you get, he's paid the ultimate price for you. The inevitable overflow is to live for him with everything that you have. That's what we prayed for today. Um, Are there any fans of The Office, the American one, Steve Carell? Any? Like two or three of us. Any others? A few. The rest of you guys are missing out on life. well, I should probably say, I think it's clever acting, although I wouldn't recommend it wholeheartedly as a show. There's some things that aren't that healthy in it. But there's this part where Michael, the key actor, he says to Holly, this girl that he loves, he says, I love you, Holly. And the girl, Holly, stops. Stops him in his traction. He says, wait a minute. Do you love me like, hey, I love that girl, or do you love me, love me like you love me? And her comment was, is do you just love me like everyone uses the term, or do you actually love me? Do you go deeper than what society thinks? She was saying, love is used so lightly these days, and for many it's synonymous with a fleeting feeling, something for someone. True love is an active verb, not a feeling. It's a decision, and the feelings are an overflow of that active decision. And Jesus loved us enough to die for us. He didn't feel like death on the cross, in that love type of way, but he did it because of love, His love led to an action that cost him everything. And so love is about giving, not receiving. It's about laying down for the sake of someone else. So how do we get that kind of love for God? How do we get to that place? How do we actively demonstrate it? And that's where Jesus says, he gives us this helpful guidance of you love God with every part of you, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these words actually have a combined effect. They're not necessarily supposed to be torn apart, but notice the repetition of all. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Jesus is trying to get across this picture, and scripture does, that God calls us. He's laid down everything for us. He calls us to love him with everything that we have. And on the back of all that God's done, his desire is that we love him with every part, for him to be priority over everything else, over our relationships, over our money, over our possessions, over our pursuits, over our hobbies. How do we do that? So Heart. We'll just look at these four there and then we'll get towards them. The heart often refers to our deepest convictions. If we talk about our heart, it's the deepest belief set that we can have as a person. It speaks of devotion. It means we put Jesus front and center in our lives. What he wants is more important than what I want. He's the focus of my life, not me. He drives the direction of my life. His word dictates how I live, not what society says. He handles my bank account and my bank balance. I ask him what I do with those things. He's my all. And so the question for each of us is, is he our all today? Is he everything in our heart? And if not, and if he isn't, how can we get to that place? Is there something getting in the way? And if there is something getting in the way, he'll show you. You can ask him, God, what's getting in the way with me loving you with all my heart? He'll show you straight away. Might be a possession, might be a relationship. He'll show you. And then you listen to him on the back of that, and then you reorientate. And then he says, "So." And this is the immaterial part of our being, emotions, feelings, thoughts. When you see a physical body, it's everything that's not physical in a person. And loving God with our soul means not allowing our emotions and our feelings to dictate our faith in Christ. Those change all the time. Our feelings and our emotions change all the time. And we can't let them dictate what it means when we love God. It's not allowing them to shape the future of our lives, to shape our responses to things of faith or things of life. It's not letting our emotions run unchecked. It's analyzing our emotions. God, is this a healthy way to relate to people? Is this a healthy way to operate? It's monitoring our feelings. Why am I always feeling down? Is there something, something to that? Am I always quick to snap at people? Is there something deeper to that? How do I deal with those sorts of emotions? And then it's being honest with, our God, with God about our emotions, with our joy, with our pain, with our sadness, with our anxiety, with our stress, with our doubts. It's saying, God, I wanna love you with my soul, and so I'm giving it to you. He knows everything about us. So being open and honest about the mess of our lives with him, if we need to bring other people into the equation, we do it. But it's saying, God, how do we bring all these aspects, the thing I like and I don't like, in my emotions to you, and would you help me love you in those areas? It says, mind. That's our intellect, that's our ability. This is using everything that God has given us, our creativity, our strategy, our skill set to magnify him, to point others to him. It's recognizing that everything we have is a gift from him and therefore all the results are a gift to give to him. If everything we have is a gift from him, then the results of that gift is a gift that we can offer to him. So it's coming humbly before him and saying, God, with my life, with my skills, with my abilities, with my business, with all those sorts of things, with this idea, with this invention, how amazing if we had people at Hope Church inventing things that impact the world. I'd love that. God's put ideas on your heart. Run hard after those things. We'll pray about it. Be amazing, inventions that change people's lives. It would be so cool, but with those things, with my future, I wanna place it in your hands. Would you do what you want? with my business, with my skills, with my abilities? Would my life count for all eternity? Would I not waste it? We've got an amazing finance team. Dave spoke briefly about giving, um, and we've got a great finance team who operates and stewards our finances, um, and they wanna steward everything that's given um, well to extend God's kingdom. We actually sit, and all the resources that come in monthly and people giving generously, we just say, Lord Jesus, what is the best use of these to extend your kingdom? And, we, and there was a real Holy Spirit moment in the room because we spoke about the reason why we believe that giving should be part of each of our lives. Why should it be a regular thing? Of the 100% God gives us, why should we give a percentage to Him in return? Why? Why is that actually important? And why should we speak into it? We were saying, the reason is, is because money has the greatest chance of preventing us from loving God with all of our might. It's got the greatest challenge. And so the way to break that is to say, God, everything you give me is from you, and I wanna give you a portion back. And as you do that every month, it breaks the power, the God of money in your life. It breaks it, it shatters it. And if we don't, the most devastating thing for a Christ follower, the most devastating thing, Christ followers all go to heaven. Your your eternal destination is on question. But the most devastating thing would be to get to heaven one day and to leave earth with a pile of riches and a pile of resources and a thriving business and to arrive in heaven and go, I wasted it because none of that went on the advance of God's kingdom. And so I said, this is what we have to speak into, not for the good of the church, for the good of us as people. This is why Sarah and I live this out. Why? Because for the good of us to learn to make sure that money is not our God and it's not our idol. So we do this, we live this out, and it's such a challenge. And so we pray together as a team, and we just said, God, would you give us strategies? Would we live this out as people on this team, and we will help others to do the same? We want to save hope people from wasted lives. We want all of our minds and the resulting fruit of that to be mechanisms to advance the kingdom of God. Then it says, with all our strength, loving God when it isn't easy. That's what loving God with our strength is. It's choosing to make Jesus a priority when there are easier options out there. It's prioritizing the hours in our day and the energy in our bodies for things that matter in God's kingdom. God made us to work, so he did. So being busy is a good thing. Jesus was busy. We're doing a reading on this with our girls this morning. But he was busy doing things that were affected for the kingdom. We can do that, whatever we are, in the marketplace. If we're a teacher, if we're a business person, as a parent, we can be busy, but with the right mindset for God's kingdom. It's persevering when the going gets tough. It's not throwing in the towel when we don't get instant response to prayer. It's being resilient in faith when we're mocked because of what we believe. What's the result? The result is obviously a closeness to the my God but how do we know that we're loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength? How do we know if those things are lining up? How do we know if we're growing? How do we know if we're growing closer to God's heart? Well, we start to become more like Him. And you know what God's heart is? His heart is for people. And so the more that we become like Jesus, the more we start to love the people that He loves. And so that's the indicator that we're growing. That's the indicator that we're loving God and receiving His love is the extent to which we love people, the very ones He died for. The ones he created, the ones he longs to have a relationship with, which is why Jesus follows on and he says the second most important commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So, how does the world know that we follow Jesus? The way that we love people. That is the way that society knows that we're Christ followers if we are. And if you're here and you're exploring faith today, I hope you see that in us as hope people. We're never going to be perfect but I hope that's what we bring to the table. And if you've been hurt in a church experience or by church people, that's not God's heart, none of us are perfect, but that should be the overflowing of it. Loving God equals loving people. The more we love God, the more we love people. And so where he says love your neighbor as yourself, a neighbor doesn't specifically mean the person who lives next to you, although it could well be. We live in such isolated society, I wonder how many of us in this room even know our neighbor's names, or if we do, have ever had them for tea or been for tea. I know it's a challenge for us. We know some of them, and we've connected with them, and we've chatted, and we've been in a few houses of one. One's a business next to us. But we've been terrible at this. I'll be the first to be honest about this. Terrible at loving a true neighbor who lives next door to us. It's not actually what Jesus is talking about, but it's a great challenge as Christ follows. But a neighbor is anyone you cross paths with, anyone you come into contact with. Therefore, this can mean anyone in a different wealth, wealth position to us, any color of skin, any belief set, any social standing, anyone. That's a neighbor. What does it mean to love them as you love yourself? This means loving someone else in the exact same way you and I would like to be treated if we were in their shoes. There are many scenarios, but here's a few. Imagine you are the beggar on the road you don't have anything you might have messed up your own life it might have been your fault but you're trying to get back on your feet your family's starving you're hungry how would you like to be treated when you ring the gate bell of a home in a wealthy area in town if that was you how would you like to be responded to how would you like to be spoken to that's an example of loving your neighbor maybe you've made a big mess up it could be in business a fraud allegation maybe it's a moral failure Maybe it's an affair. Maybe it's something like that. The whole town knows about it. It's a talk of town. And you feel this when you walk into a social setting. You feel this. In fact, it maybe prevents you from coming to church for a bit. I hope not here. Everybody's accepted here. We're all on a journey of faith. None of us are perfect. But you feel eyes watching you when you're in a social setting. How would you like to be treated if that was you? If you were in that person's shoes, would you like people to give you a hug Would you like people to smile genuinely and to say hello, to welcome you in, to have a conversation about the mess? Think about that. Maybe you're in a place of animosity due to the color of your skin or you feel you're in a place of animosity. You know the normal way people of that skin color are treated in that situation. How would you like to be treated? That's loving our neighbors well. Maybe you're a teller at the shops. You're hardly earning enough money to pay the bills. It's been a long day. You aren't as happy as you should be. The bank system is offline as usual. There's people with trolleys loaded to the brim getting angry with you, shouting at you. They've got all the money in the world and they're losing the plot. How would you and I like to be treated if we were a a teller at the shop in that situation? How would we like to be treated? Maybe you're a wealthy businessman who has it all, but you're actually pretty empty inside angry with employees, mistrusting a business colleagues, never satisfied, can't sleep at night because of all the decisions on medication or sleeping pills or, or drugs to help. You're searching for purpose, but in all the wrong places. You're pretending everything's well on the outside and there's bravado about everything going well, but actually you're broken on the inside. How would you like someone to respond to you if that was you? Give you a picture of how to love somebody who maybe is not that lovable because of that perspective maybe the arrogant and social media addicted. The person who just makes you cringe when you see the videos that they post. I mean, just properly cringe. And you just kinda wanna mock because you're just like, you're so self-focused. What are they searching for? Get into their world. Why are they posting the way they do? What are they actually looking for? How do I love them in that process? Maybe it's the one who doesn't quite fit in in social settings. Maybe it's because of a mental disability or problem. Maybe it's a trauma from the past. Maybe it's an anger problem they're trying to work on. They're so desperate for attention that they drive people away. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's so hard. People who are desperate for attention sadly usually drive people away because of their desperation. But what's life like for them? How do we love them in spite of that? I loved um, one of our connect groups. If you aren't in a connect group, sign up and join one. We meet during the weeks. We get to know each other, and there was somebody who was quite difficult in the group. I loved the response of the group. They said, we want this person to stay in our group. They're kind of off the wall, difficult conversation, but we love them, and would you just pray that we answer questions well, that we love them well. Um, and so, so they, they just loved this person. They cared about this person the entire time, that they were in the group and I I just love their heart. That's what it meant to love a neighbor well. The list could go on, but as I close, what Jesus is saying is treat others the way you'd like to be treated. We need to get into the world of other people. What's it like to live a day in somebody else's shoes? How do we love with wisdom and truth? We don't wanna baby people and issues, but how do we love wisely? How do we love as Jesus did? That's the challenge for us each and every day. What would our families, friendships, businesses, and communities look like if we just followed those two communities? What would they look like if we love God with everything and we love people with everything? Change society. So as we close, and then we'll stand and pray, the, take, the scribe takes the sin. He processes it out loud with Jesus, and he says, you're right, teacher, You've truly said that he is one and there's no one beside him. To love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the burnt offerings and all the sacrifices. When Jesus saw how the man had answered, that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Jesus was saying, you're on the right track. You're asking the right questions. You've got an open heart that's ready to hear. That man's vital next step that would bring him into the kingdom of God would be to recognize Jesus, the beloved son, as the only way to the father. To receive Jesus as the one who would pay the price for his sin. Friends, God will take 99 steps towards us, but we have to take one step towards him. He will take every possible step and get our attention in every possible way. But the only way, and he'll do everything but the only way for us to enter his kingdom is we have to take one step in faith towards him the scribe had an itch he had a nagging sense of more when he put his head on the pillow at night he couldn't put his finger on it but he knew there was something different about jesus and if that's you today keep pursuing keep asking stay open you are close to the kingdom of god and in fact you could even enter the kingdom as we pray today we'd love to welcome you into that kingdom and the difference between god's kingdom and any other kingdom is that it's eternal so when you enter god's kingdom it doesn't end when you die it continues for all eternity but every other kingdom we can live for here on earth will end this world is a foretaste it's a blurred picture of the everlasting kingdom that we see with clarity and joy as we enter eternity as christ follows that's what this man was close to but being close is not being in he had to make a decision. Should we stand and pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for this time together. Thank you that you are a God who is open to us, who is wise, who speaks with clarity. Maybe here today, you're sitting here and you're going, I'm like that scribe. I've been asking the question, Jesus has shown himself to me, but right now I haven't made a decision to follow God, but I would like to. I know enough, I sense his presence, I feel like he's with me, he's drawing me to make a decision. If that's you today, you can make that decision. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I believe. I believe you died and rose again. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you change me from the inside out? I want to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Would you come into my heart and change me? You can do that in the quietness of your heart. You can come chat to us afterwards. You can ask somebody else for prayer. But if you do that right now, you will move from death to life. You will enter his kingdom. You'll move from being somebody who just believes there's a God far away to being a Christ follower and your life will never be the same. I would love to help you on that journey. You can pop a note down, but for anyone in that position, you can make that decision right now. God has taken 99 steps towards you, and he's calling you and drawing you to take one step towards him. You can do that today. Father, for the rest of us, I pray that we'd be a people who don't try harder, but we receive from you more this God of grace who paid the ultimate price for us, And I pray that we would be a people here at Hope Church who love you with all of our heart devoted, with all of our soul, our emotions, every part of us, with our mind, with our ability, with our intellect, with everything that we have in that level, with all of our strength, with a resilience and a perseverance. Why do we do that? So number one, we can grow closer to you. But number two, so that a world in desperate need of love would see you as they see us, would you help us to love our neighbors, those different to us, those close to us, those we disagree with, to love them well, that they might come to a saving faith in you. Your powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen.